In today's talk, first of all, I will speak about the spirit of Metta, and then I will say some words as on Metta as a relational practice. And then the big bulk of this talk deals with Metta as a verb, or the fact that Metta must also be expressed by actions of body and speech. I want to begin with a quote by Dilko Kienze Rinpoche, a beloved teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. He died about 30 years ago. He had said, each morning our first thought should be to dedicate the day for the welfare and well-being of all sentient beings. In other words, this is a meta-attitude. And as Sayadaw Ayaviranyani and myself have said again and again, meta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. And this benevolent wish or attitude can be expressed in different ways with different words or phrases. Can be the wish, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Or it could be, may all beings be free from danger and harm. Or, may all beings live at ease and in peace. Or else, may all beings be free from all kinds of suffering. Or, as a last example, May all beings be safe and protected. Sayado Uindaka has written a book on the practice of metta, loving kindness, and how it can serve as a basis for the practice of vipassana meditation. He has written this book in Burmese and I have translated this book into English and it has been edited with the help of Judy, a meditator here. I have also translated it to German. There also exists translations in Czech language and even in Russian language. And at the end of this retreat and at the end of the second retreat, we will put out information on many different things, but also um, how or where you can get hold of this book. In this book, Sayedo writes about the spirit of metta. And I want to read a few of these uh, phrases that he has put, put there. The spirit of metta is the wish 
for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. It is never a wish for anything that is not beneficial. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of other living beings. We never work to create unwholesome results or to inflict suffering. The spirit of metta is always and forever peaceful and cool. It never burns. The spirit of metta is always loving-kindness. It never turns to hatred. The spirit of metta is always soft, gentle, and subtle. It is never rough and harsh. The spirit of metta sees and looks at the good side. It does not look for faults or shortcomings. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It is not oppressive or controlling. The spirit of metta works only for the benefit of others. It doesn't work for our own selfish benefit. The spirit of metta is free from entanglement. There is always independence. At this place, I want again, I want again to stress the fact that with the practice of metta or living with metta, we do not approve of an unwholesome deed that somebody has done. You know, when somebody has emotionally hurt us or even inflicted some physical suffering, we do not approve of that harmful act by saying that it was right or justified. But based on metta, we simply try not to react with anger, hatred, or ill will, and therefore close the heart for this other person. But when there is metta in our heart and mind, not being trapped in anger, aversion, we can actually see more clearly, because we are not trapped in the anger. And when we see more clearly, then we can better decide on a course of action that needs to be done. And so this course of action is based on understanding, compassion, wisdom. So when we are hurt or blamed or ridiculed, you know, we still can and should take action. But based on metta, then it comes from a different place, from a different inner attitude. This attitude that is not based on anger or aversion, but this attitude of understanding, 
compassion, kindness. As we have said many times, and as you know, metta is not based on any conditions. It's not dependent on any conditions. Therefore, we also call it unconditional love. So it does not select persons or beings according to what they have done to us or what they do not have done to us. And metta does not expect anything in return. So our ability to be loving, friendly, and kind must be truly unconditional. It must be limitless. It must be boundless. You know, then it becomes a boundless state, a divine state, a Brahma-vihara. Metta is this great power of the heart and the mind to stay present and connected with ourselves and others. So to stay present with this benevolent, friendly attitude in regard to all living beings in any situation or circumstance. Mahatma Gandhi called this the most powerful and the subtlest force in the universe. And in his description of the unfolding of his spiritual practice, Mahatma Gandhi had said, I hold myself to be incapable of hating any being on earth. By a long course of prayerful discipline, I have ceased for over 40 years to hate anybody. I know this is a big claim. Nevertheless, I make it in all humility. The practice of metta meditation, the cultivation on, of loving kindness, and so on, this practice is dealing with living beings. And you know, when you go back to the classical description of metta meditation practice, it's the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. And actually, the same is true for the other three Brahma-viharas, for compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. These Brahma-viharas, these four boundless states, they are all relational practices. They all deal with living beings and the relation we have with them. So loving kindness, loving kindness practice is always relational. You know, it's an attitude on how we relate to others 
and to ourselves. And as you know, in the systematic practice of loving-kindness, we start with ourselves, then we go on to the category of benefactors, from there to the category of dear friends or uh, close persons, then comes the category of the neutral persons, persons we neither love nor hate, then the category of the enemy, persons we hate, or you could say difficult persons. And then from there, we open up to more people, to more beings. So that can be opening up to different groups of people, beings you know, the group of our family or the group of our colleagues at work or the group of the people in our neighborhood where we live or the group of all meditators here. Or, as we know from the metta chant, it could be all male beings or all female beings, could be all human beings, all devas, and so on. Or another way of making different groups is in regard to the directions, the ten directions, east, west, north, south, and so on, the directions in between, above and below. And then finally, we open up to all beings, wherever they are, you know, not making any distinctions anymore, but whatever sentient being there is in this universe, in other universes, may they all be happy and peaceful. The Buddha didn't get tired to say how beneficial a metta attitude is and how beneficial and necessary it is to be kind, to be friendly, to be benevolent. And the Buddha said, you know, even if it is just for one moment. In a passage from the Itivuttaka, part of the Kutakanikaya, the Buddha had said, if one shows kindness with a clear mind for all living beings, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So already one moment of metta, metta attitude, there we abide, we dwell, in a wholesome state. Metta, this Pali word, as you know, is translated as loving kindness, friendliness, benevolence, unconditional love. So, you know, it's translated as a substantive. 
So with the practice of metta meditation, we strengthen this quality, we make it stronger, we de develop it until it becomes really powerful and strong. But even if the quality of metta has become just very powerful and strong, if the metta is really pure and genuine, the work is still not yet done. It's not something that you uh, can tick off the list, say, okay, done, next. <laughs> but metta is something we need to constantly engage in. We need to manifest it with all our being. We need to manifest it in whatever we do, in all of our actions, physical actions, in all of our speech. We really need to embody it. The Buddha used the word metta not only as a substantive, but he also used it as a verb. And so this emphasizes the fact that loving-kindness is something that you need to do or is something that you need to engage in, to manifest. And in this passage that I just read out from the Itivutaka, there it's actually a verb, as it says, if one shows kindness with a clear mind. So, to show kindness. If one shows kindness to all living creatures, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So we need to show kindness. We need to enact kindness or to manifest kindness or we need to be kind, we need to be friendly, we need to embody it with all our being. And actually, in the term metta-bhavana, what usually is translated as metta-meditation, or the development of metta, the cultivation of loving-kindness, the um, literal translation of bhavana is causing something to be. So metta-bhavana as causing kindness to be. So again, this shows, you know, it's something we need to engage in, and create the um, appropriate and suitable conditions for kindness to arise. And then this kindness, metta, needs to be directed towards somebody or something. As I said, it's a relational practice, so it's directed at living beings. And although we direct this kindness 
towards another person, another living being. It is something that needs to be cultivated in ourselves. We simply take this other person, this other being, as the object for our metta meditation so that we can cultivate and strengthen this quality in ourselves. Kindness, friendliness, loving kindness, this is not just an idea or an intellectual thought, but this is actually what I would call a living emotion. And in the practice over the past 10 days here in this retreat, you have probably come to see and experience for yourself the difference between just thinking thoughts of kindness and actually experiencing the benevolent and loving quality of loving kindness. But as we have pointed out, you know, the thoughts and the phrases that we use for the practice of metta meditation, they can act as a helpful basis and support for the arising of loving kindness. But the words or the phrases alone are not enough. The Buddha had said that there is nothing that changes as rapidly as the mind. And the mind shifts constantly its attention from one thing to another, from one object to another. The mind is constantly shifting between wholesome states, unwholesome states, between good and beneficial thoughts, bad and not beneficial states of mind. For example, you're cultivating metta, and the mind, the heart, is really filled with metta. But then maybe a memory pops up, or you hear a sound, and just one split second later, there is anger present in the mind. So this can happen so quick, so fast. And so the Buddha had said, you know, if we have just one moment of loving kindness in our heart and mind, then we have ennobled our heart and mind with a beneficial state of mind. And with that, we have reduced the negativity, the anger, the aversion, and so on, by one moment. You know, in that moment of having a pure thought of metta, there is no anger, no ill will, no craving, attachment, and so on. And even though we might think that, well, this doesn't make a big difference, you know, just one moment of loving kindness, which means one moment less of anger. 
What, what difference does it make? But actually, it makes a bigger difference that we may think. You know, each moment of metta, loving kindness, is actually very powerful and can have far-reaching effects. I think you have all experienced times when you were caught in negativity, when everything seemed to be against you. And being caught in negativity in, at such a time, it seems to be so difficult or even impossible to think one kind thought. In such a moment, caught in negativity. You know, we cannot think of one good reason why anyone should deserve a kind thought. But even though it seems impossible, we should try anyway. In such a moment, can we just think a kind thought, a meta-thought, you know, for a, for a person, we usually um, have metta. For a person for whom usually it is very easy to connect on the basis of metta. So we should try. And even if the metta thought might not come from the deepest place in our heart, that's good enough then already the intention to think a kind thought is turning the mind in a good direction. It's turning the mind in a wholesome direction. And so even if it is just a very short moment where we have this meta-thought or the intention uh, for a meta-thought, even this one moment, this brief moment, it can have a transformative effect upon our heart and mind because it will help change the dynamic of our heart and mind. And it really makes a difference. And in this way, this can be a helpful start to get out of the negativity. And now I'm going to talk about the three levels of metta. The three levels of metta as metta in deed, speech, and thought. And you know, we have this metta chant, metta indeed, speech, and thought that we chanted last night and many times before. The Buddha had said that everything originates in the mind. And therefore, we need to deepen and strengthen the metta in the mind so that this friendly and benevolent attitude 
becomes firmly rooted in the heart, in the mind. But then from there, this meta-attitude must translate into kind and friendly actions of body and into kind and friendly speech, kind and friendly words. You know, what would be the point of cultivating metta only on the level of the mind when one's actions of body and speech are not informed by metta? So the three levels of metta are, the first one in Pali is called kaya kama metta, metta expressed by physical actions, metta expressed by the body, bodily actions. The second level is called vachi kama metta, metta expressed by speech, metta expressed by words. And the third one is mano kama metta, metta expressed by thoughts, metta expressed in the mind. So in our formal metta meditation practice, we develop and strengthen metta in our heart and mind. So here we practice on the third level, the mano kama metta. And for this, we take the help of these metta wishes, metta phrases. And so with this practice here during this retreat, we really try to deepen the, the strength of the metta, to make it firmly rooted in our heart and mind. Or in other words, we try to make this metta attitude a new habit so that the natural tendency of the heart and mind is to dwell in metta and not in anger or aversion. So the first level, the kaya, kama, metta, metta expressed by the body, metta expressed in physical actions. As I said, so our metta attitude, our benevolent attitude in the heart and mind must be translated into kind, friendly, beneficial actions of body. A meditator who had done the metta retreat last year had reported in her last interview of, uh, of the whole month uh, retreat. So she said that the metta had become really strong and firm. And she tried to explain that the strong metta was actually very soft and gentle. She said this strong metta was actually just this 
gentleness. And she added that it feels like having round edges. <clears throat> yes, and as this gentleness, then the metta translates into gentle and soft metta actions and also soft and gentle metta words. We also need to understand that this gentleness, this softness, does not mean weakness. Not at all. Actually, it's gentle, but it's a very firm power. It's powerful. In the Metta Sutta, that we chant almost every night in English, it says, whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. So if we want to make metta to become a sublime abiding, a brahma-vihara, we must embody this friendly, loving, benevolent attitude all the time, in all our postures, in all our activities. So here comes an example of a quite an ordinary person who expressed this kindness in a physical action. And his kind and loving action had a tremendous impact on another person. It's uh, something that a meditator told me in a retreat in Ireland uh, many years ago. So this meditator, Tom, and his brother, they were visiting their parents who had a flat in a ski resort in Switzerland, in Klosters. And as usual, every year, Tom and his brother, they spent a couple of weeks with their parents in the ski resort in wintertime. And one day, it was a beautiful sunny day, they decided to, to go skiing. Now, the, Tom, he didn't um, have his own skis, but there was a spare pair of skis. He had his own ski boots, but the ski boots needed to be adjusted to the skis. And so the father took Tom and his brother into the village with his car, dropped Tom at the shop to get the boots fixed uh, to the skis, and his brother had to get something else. And so they said that they would meet again at the corner of the pharmacy, where the father would then pick up and then go to the lifts. Now it took much, much longer for Tom to get his ski boots fixed to the skis. 
And when he finally came to that corner and waited, neither his brother nor his father came around. In the meantime, his father had been driving around in the village searching for Tom. And as Tom was waiting there, he all of a sudden remembered that he had forgotten the ski pass in the flat. So he took the local bus, went back, and when he was back at the flat, uh, at that time, his father also uh, came back to the flat. He's thinking maybe Tom has gone back. And when the father saw Tom there, the father got very upset and angry at him because he had been looking for him and, you know, lots of time has passed. And so the father aired out his frustration at Tom. And Tom, being a meditator and having also practiced loving kindness, he tried not to pick up his father's anger, to also get angry at his father, but he really tried to stay calm, kind, open-hearted to his father. He didn't say anything, but just let the father air out his anger. And the father just continued to throw these angry words at Tom. After some time, it got a bit much for Tom, and so he went out into the kitchen. But the father followed him. And then what Tom did next was completely unexpected and surprising. He just went up to his father and gave him this big, loving hug. And the father, completely taken by surprise, immediately he lost his anger. And everything was fine. So then they went out, hopped into the car, went to the ski lifts, and they spent a wonderful day together skiing. So Tom had really taken to heart the teachings of staying kind and friendly. He really tried not to fall into the trap of anger. And with this, he has been quite successful. And with this, you know, we can see how Tom's strong metta had this immediate transformative effect also on his father. Or here is another heartwarming story. Just a few weeks ago, like in December, a very good friend of mine, Maria Anna, told me that she had this wonderful and surprising experience in a supermarket. At the cash-out counter, she realized that she did not have her credit card. She didn't find it in her purse, and she had almost no, no cash. And she had done quite 
a big shopping, so it came to 140 Swiss francs, which is about the same amount in US dollars. So again, she checked her purse and her bag a second time, but couldn't find it. And then the woman, the woman behind her in the queue stepped up, took out her credit card, and said that she would pay for the bill, adding to my friend that later on she could reimburse. My friend was completely surprised by this unexpected help, and because she was actually in a hurry to get home to take care of her sick partner, she gladly accepted this offer. So then the kind woman paid, and then she gave my friend a card with her address. But this woman did not ask for any kind of identification of my friend. She did not ask her name, she did not ask where she lived, she did not ask for a telephone number. Of course, my friend, a few days later, she went to that woman with a nice bunch of flowers and gave her back the money. And my friend asked her why she did not ask for any information about her. And the woman said that she trusts in the goodness of people. And she added, otherwise this world would be such a poor place. Such can be meta-actions. And of course, there are uncountable many more ways how we can manifest our meta in meta-actions. Now to the second level, Vachi Kama Metta, Metta expressed by speech, by words. So likewise, our Metta attitude, firmly rooted in our heart and mind, must manifest in our speech, in our words. And in regard to speech, the baseline that the Buddha gave in regard to speech is that whatever we say should be true and beneficial. To elaborate a little bit on this, our speech should be free from anger, aversion, <coughs> hatred, frustration, or the speech that we use should be sweet, beneficial, and pleasing to hear. This is what we know from our uh, metta chant. Or using speech that conduces to harmony, to unity, or to a peaceful living together. 
Our speech, our words, they have a tremendous impact on others and also on ourselves. In our everyday lives, we speak a lot. And speaking is such a habitual action. And often we are not really aware of our speech, of what comes out of our mouths. And as a result, often it's only afterwards that we realize that something not so nice or nasty or angry words have come out of our mouths. So in regard to beneficial speech, speech that is not based on anger, here is an example from an Israeli meditator. She lives in Jerusalem. And she has made it an essential part of her practice to use her speech in a way that does not add more hatred to the world. She told me that, you know, it doesn't snow very often in Jerusalem, in Israel, but when it does, everything slows down in Jerusalem. And one day when there was a snowstorm and there was a, a little bit of a chaos in Jerusalem, she didn't get her newspaper delivered to her home. But this meditator wanted to know whether the newspaper would be delivered later on in the day. And so she called the company to find out. And so she called the company and talked to a woman. And this woman told her that she, the meditator, was the first person that morning who wasn't angry at the person from the company. The meditator told then the woman that she had made the commitment to not add to any more hate to the world because there was already enough. Isn't this beautiful? and very encouraging. With little meta acts like this, we can really make a big difference. And they are encouraging. Once the Buddha told Venerable Ananda, who was the Buddha's assistant, that bodily acts of loving-kindness create love and respect, and that they conduce to cohesion, to non-dispute, to unity. And likewise, the Buddha said, verbal acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to co cohesion, to non-dispute, to unity. And the Buddha also said, mental acts of loving-kindness 
create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, to non-dispute, to unity. So if the heart and the mind is really full of metta, if loving-kindness is strong and powerful, firmly rooted in the heart and mind, then the actions of body and speech will also be infused with metta. Then they will become metta-actions, metta-speech. Now going to the third level, the mano kama metta, metta expressed by thoughts, metta manifested in the mind. The mind is something we cannot see with our physical eyes, we cannot touch it, we cannot smell it, we cannot taste it. But all the same, there is a tremendous power and a great force in the mind. And it's a great power for transformation. And it's a great power that can have such a strong impact on other living beings, be they human beings, animals, devas, unseen beings, any kind of beings. So here I want to relate a true story which illustrates the metta on the mental level or the absence of metta on the mental level. It's the story of a Burmese monk who lived in the last century before the Second World War. His name was Sila, and he lived in the area of Pako, which is a town southeast of Yangon. So this monk Uzila, he lived in different forest monastery, monasteries in the district of Pako, and we must understand that at that time, you know, about 100 years ago, uh, these forests, they were really forests, jungle, filled with wildlife, with elephants and tigers, and so on. And um, Usila, this monk, he practiced a lot of meditation with a special emphasis on metta meditation. So once while he was living in such a forest monastery and having a hut away from the main building out in the forest, in the jungle, he had an attendant who stayed with him. And they had a little hut which was built off the ground. So there was space below the floor of the hut where one could sit underneath. And it was in the cool season, 
when the temperatures drop a bit, as you have experienced. And so in the morning, Osila was inside the hut practicing meditation. His attendant was under the hut, having made a fire to warm himself uh, by the fire. And staying out there in the jungle, a tiger uh, usually came to that hut and, you know, stayed there, slept there. And when it was cold, the tiger would go near the fire, curl up and sleep there. So there was never a problem that the tiger never, never attacked the monk or the attendant or caused any disturbance. And so that one particular that day, the attendant and the tiger near the fire, the tiger sleeping, the attendant warming himself uh, near the fire, the tiger kind of waking up a bit and yawning. So tiger opened up his mouth, big mouth, and the attendant just looked straight into the tiger's mouth. And then a thought popped up in the attendant's mind. And it was the thought, what would happen if I take a piece of the burning wood and would throw it into the tiger's mouth? And as soon as he had thought, that thought, the tiger started to roar, a loud, frightening sound. And with that, the monk meditating up in the hut, when he heard that loud roar of the tiger, the monk called, hey, attendant, you must know a bamboo hut that uh, uh, one can hear what is said inside, outside. Hey, attendant, pay attention to your thoughts. It seems you had had a harmful thought for the tiger. And it was only in that moment that the attendant actually realized what kind of thought he had had. And immediately he, uh, he switched to metta, having metta thoughts for the tiger. And with that, the tiger just curled up again next to the fire and continued to sleep peacefully. So metta, as this friendly, benevolent, loving attitude must be cultivated and manifested on all three levels. Metta in deed, metta in speech, metta in thoughts. So even if one were to attain the highest forms of jhana that are possible with metta meditation, this would not yet be enough. With this, the practice would not yet be complete. 
Only when the metta shines forth from our whole being in all situations, in all circumstances, only then can we say that our metta practice is complete. I will end this talk with a quote by Acharya Buddharakita. He was an Indian monk. Well, before he became a monk, uh, he was a prolific writer. He was also an engineer, and he had joined the Indian army to, during the Second World War. But then when he was 26 years old, he became a monk. And it is Acharya Bodhrakita who established the quite famous Mahabodhi Society. The main seat is in Bangalore, India, and it has branches among other places also in Ladakh, Leh, the Indian Himalayas. So he had said, if the quality of metta is sufficiently cultivated through metta bhavana, the meditation on universal love, the result is the acquisition of a tremendous inner power which protects and heals both ourselves and others. May we all be able to acquire this tremendous inner power of metta and contribute to peace and happiness in this world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.